Welcome to GERT, conversations about architecture, entrepreneurship and life. We are proud to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, to recognise their ongoing connection to country, land and waters that were never ceded, and to pay our respect to Elders, past and present. Your hosts are Monique Woodward, Director of Wawawa Architecture, Mother to Cleo, Recording on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne, and Nick Brunson, Principal and Creative Director of Nick Brunson, Father to Bo and Minnie, who's in Perth recording on Wajuk Noongar Buja. Mon and Nick are celebrated industry thought leaders. Both have won the Australian Institute of Architects National Emerging Architect Prize and are Dulux Study Tour Prize winners. They bring candour and vulnerability to conversations about creativity and personal expansion. Please enjoy. Let's get started. This is, we've got Simone Harding here with us today. Uh, Super excited about this. Simone's based in Sydney. She's in lockdown. It's sad, but she's got beautiful plants behind her and views of the harbour. And, you know, if you're going to be locked down, it can't be that, you know, that's probably a good place to be. But um, speaking of someone so- from Perth, and I'm also <laughs> from Melbourne. So, um, yeah, yeah no, I'm, shut up, I, I, I don't actually know how good I've got it over here. Um, but anyway, Simone, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we won't go through the 20 minutes of tech issues we just went through to, to get you actually online, but we're here. When it, now we can move forward. We are ready. Actually, Nick, I feel like you should give an intro. You guys have been friends forever. I feel like you should you should unpack your relationship and and we can go from there. That's How a nice many way hours to do, it. do we have, though? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give the quick overview. So Simone basically saved my life, not you know, in in the in the spiritual sense. Uh, when I was hitting my when I was around twenty seven and sat in returns and trying to work out who I was, what I was doing, what life meant, all that kind of stuff. And so Simone's background is she's a spiritual healer, but she's sort of just an and. She's a white witch who is here with us on Earth. We are very lucky to have someone of this spiritual resonance around, um, but she kind of can draw on things and places and people and times that you kind of don't really know are there and um, give amazing insight into where you are and where you're going. But, yeah, Simone's helped me a lot through my life and um, she's actually the celebrant at our wedding and uh, we've sort of held a, a very strong friendship for what almost 15 years now. Oh, that's very sweet. You explained it better than I do. <laughs> I remember once when I was doing a TV interview, they were asking me, what do I do well? And I felt like saying, make people cry. I'm really good at making people cry. But it's you like made me cry. It's, <laughs> it's, it's happy tears sometimes though, isn't it? Oh, look, there, look, there's tears and laughter. It's the whole mixed bag. Um, and then, you know, like for me, I've resorted these days when people ask me what I do, I just say weird shit. So um, I think I should get you, Nick, speaking on my behalf because it's really hard to put into words what it is that I actually do, given that also what I've done and what I'm in the process of doing is also changing. Yeah, well, that makes it hard to talk about what you do, but what I think you do do is you sum up complicated relational things uh, in very clear ways, drawing on the personal and the contextual and the future to kind of give guidance to people to help navigate their own lives. Yeah. I mean, part of what I identified is that I became a relationship expert by mistake. 
Um, really, my function on earth is to help people live, live their purpose, basically, um, and relationships get in the way of that. In fact, 80% of our brain can be occupied thinking about our relationships. So um, by default, I ended up helping people work through their relationships in order to be able to understand what it is that they're here to do or even just free up the resources and potentials to do that. So it's hilarious. And so, yeah, probably you're right. Is it hilarious way. though? It is hilarious because <laughs> it wasn't my intention, right? My intention yeah. is for people to be in their ultimate potential. But um, as a result, I, I would say that I'm probably uh, a relationship expert. I see patterns that go beyond um, even this lifetime. Like I see patterns that relate to relationships connected to DNA and depending on your belief systems, past lives. Um and how they kind of then interrelate to family dynamics within the work and even then how it plays out within the body. So how illness can be an indication of some of these related patterns. Well, in terms of pattern and, recognition, I think that that's, um, I don't know, well, I, th- I think, you know, at some point you were saying that you think you can almost, you're almost pivoting into becoming a futurist. And then I know that we we had some really interesting sessions with. Um, I was starting up a f- new little business idea, and uh, co-directors we all got together and had a session or an hour or two hours with Simone about you know like what are the trends in the world and what does it mean and how do you sort of position yourself in the way things are going and the understanding of the lay of the land and you know looking forward to kind of you know saying well if you are this and this is your purpose and this is where things are going here's how you can best add value and here's how you can best be your truest selves in this way and be profitable and be happy and be all those sorts of things and yeah it's kind of it's one of those to me it's the relationship the relational thing you know, if you can understand the way people work and re- relate to each other, you can almost understand anything and that, you know, that you to then transfer that and pull that across into ideas of business or, you know, futurism or just whatever I think is, uh, you know, is very interesting. Well, I guess what we're, when we're looking at how we relate, we're looking at how we relate to ourself fundamentally. And so in understanding how we relate to ourselves, we also get a greater sense of self, which then lends itself to understanding who we are and what we're here to do. Um, so, you know, but your, your example's perfect, where we worked initially a lot on relationships, got that worked through, got a stronger sense of who you are, and now we're getting to, you know, if I can swear again, I am Australian, so I'm allowed, the fun shit, which is let's get into your purpose work, which is all this futuristic type of stuff I'm working with. Because which, is sense- how, which is how I got hooked on you, Simone, though. Um, you know, because <laughs> and I think that Nick sort of always talks about, you know, he always talks about you. He always talks about how amazing you are and um, how he sort of pitched you to me was as a healing coach. And I was like, I, I, it was at the very beginning of my like healing journey. Um, where I wanted to kind of, and, and at the very start of COVID as well, I think they kind of, um, you know, coalesced. But uh, yeah, I think it was, you know, my interest was around the purpose that we're talking about. And then we had this really amazing session. And um, yeah, I think it very quickly went from like healing to kind of relationships and understanding the kind of cesspool or not cesspool. 
<laughs> the kind of um, it is a bit of a cesspool, yeah. Microcosm of of what that is and how that you know how you relate to everyone in the world. So yeah, I just I thought I'd just throw that in there. So um, because I just love hearing you talk as well. So I was just sitting there listening, going, oh, maybe people don't know that I'm here. So I just chimed in. <laughs> thank you, thank yeah, you for Simone, letting us know. Times with Simone, I, I, it might sound like the wrong word. A very dense. As in you can't you can you cover more ground in like thirty seconds than most people do in thirty minutes. And uh, every time we talk, I'm there with my my phone out on my notes app, like with my thumbs going and getting like arthritis by the end of it, trying to like capture everything that's going through. And you know, there's just these little like acupuncture needles of like insight that you go, "Fuck!" Like where'd that come from? That's amazing. And yeah, it's uh, it's very, I don't know, it's very good. Well, what? Well, what the amazing thing is that all I'm doing is often tuning into you and getting insights and understandings that you've already understood but forgotten. Yep. And so or you've, or you've chosen to put to the side because it isn't convenient at the at the moment. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. So so you know, part of my psychic ability is I have the capacity to connect into knowledge and information. I love it. It's like cheating, right? And um, and often spiritual people talk about, you know, which angel told you that and which, you know, ascended master and which of their ancestors told you that information. And I feel like saying, well, most of the time it's actually them and their higher self we're having conversations with. Uh, one of the cutest things was one of my clients I hadn't seen for centuries um, ran into me because when you see a client once or twice, you, you know, you think, oh, was I effective? This is in the early days. Was I effective? How did it go? I ran into her and she said, Simone, we had these amazing sessions and all I do now is when I get confused, I ask myself, what would Simone say? And I said, I said, well, what you're actually doing is you're asking your higher self what it thinks. So, yeah, so a lot of what I'm doing is having these communications and connections and bringing um, to the real world these thoughts and ideas that you've had that haven't been actualised, communicated, thought again or even made real. So that's part mm-hmm. of the work I do. I do, yes, I do talk to angels and there are all kinds of people that want to butt in and, and add to the conversation. But for me, I guess why it's so dense is that I'm really about getting an intention um, clarified and looking at not just clearing a lot of stress around it, but what is the action required after that. So I'm very purpose-driven in terms of the work I do. And I think that coincided with my journey into understanding um, upper limits. You know, know, there's a really amazing book. and we'll we'll put the link link into the podcast, but you know it does talk about these upper limits in business and you know in in personal and business. And I think um, understanding how we sabotage ourselves in certain ways and understanding why and how that that relates um, to entrepreneurship and how it relates to business and family. And the, I don't know. I guess just understanding that um, you can't just be you know a professional like that your entire experience as a, as a human is relevant to business because we're fundamentally just in relationship to, you know, our team and our clients who are essentially just humans again. And, um, you know, starting to reframe that relationship was really um, important for me. Yeah, and I guess if I put on my futurist hat again, where we are going forward in the awakening is that everything we do has to be in the vibration of love. And so um, your work needs to relate to what you love. And so we're already seeing this emergence of hobbies turning into work, right? Um, And so there's going to be a further extension of that. So everything that you've experienced in your existence to date 
is going to be important to understand in getting a sense of what is next for you. Because where we are in history right now is that I'm helping to train pilots when planes haven't been invented. I'm helping them to get a sense of that, the fact that they're not, you know, that they want to be a pilot before planes have been invented. And so you're working with these people who have a very strong sense of purpose and understanding that they really want to step into that, but they haven't got a direction or clear focus because that hasn't been created. So there's a lot of anguish, confusion, self-doubt, shame. So a lot of what I'm helping to do with some of their um sessional work is work through all the reasons why they might have shame but also say hey you know what you've got here it makes a lot of sense and you've got all these little jigsaw puzzles but if I put that together that's what this looks like it's actually potentially a real thing so much then, clarity it's in you know it's an incredible moment um that book by the way was called a big leap <laughs> just <wanted laughs> to put that out there I hope people I mean it's I'm absolutely obsessed I made my whole team read it um you definitely should read it Cute. Well, I'm, I think what I really what I really like about this conversation and linking back to our previous conversation with um, Andrew Davies from the CEO of B Corp is we're speaking to we basically now had two conversations with the CEO of a, a large organization and a white witch and they are both talking about purpose and purpose driven outcomes and so it like it doesn't matter if you're completely white collar blue collar or spiritual or woo woo or whatever the way that things seem to be going and the way things are feeling and the way, way that, as Simone's saying, that the pilots are trying to get to the unbuilt planes is that, you know, it feels like purpose. If you don't have your purpose in place, you know, you're still driving around in on tricycles. Yeah, I mean, there's all these quotes and I don't remember them because that's not my job. Um, I'm a creator, not a uh, regurgitator. <laughs> there's all these quotes along the lines of, you know, if you don't have purpose, you have nothing. You know, and I think where we are right now is a lot of people are sitting in the awareness that their sense of purpose was actually created through other people's um, ideas of what that may be and they really had a lot of time to reflect on that and are rethinking it. And also, too, we have pressing agendas where people are also um, coming to a sense of potentially a role that they want to play in that. So, you know, it's a huge transitional time, massive. We call it, you know, this is the great unknown that we've stepped into. I mean, people said, you know, 2000, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, people said 2020 was the worst year of my life and I said, well, I hope you enjoyed it because that was a holiday, mm. you know, because um, we're talking about, you know, the destruction of our world as it's not, it's been known. And a lot of people would argue, well, that's a good thing because it needs, you know, to be different. But, you know, that leaves a lot of people in a lot of unknown. And if their main directive is following directives, you know, they're going to be pretty confused. Well, what the fuck do we do about it? <laughs> well, this is where we've had all this time to realign to who we are, what's important, what motivates us, what drives us. Um, you know, asking these questions rather than kind of making assumptions. And people are starting to question, you know, what what do the authorities have to say, and, you know, who I am, what my choices are. So, you know, in a lot of ways it's very exciting, but for a lot of people they're like babies when it comes to self-development, As you know, as much as mine might think that, you know, this was the beginning of her journey, I'm sure she's been on this journey for a very long time, being a curious person, being a creative person. You've actually been on this journey longer than you could probably imagine. You know what I mean? Rethinking it, thinking things could be different, things could be better. That's who you are. That's inbuilt in who you are and that hasn't stopped. I mean, you might have more of an intellectual understanding and more language around that, 
but you know you've been on this journey for a while while some people are literally waking up yeah and I think COVID really did contribute to that I think there has been this um you know you can't go through something so intense and so transformational without um wanting to find meaning within it or some purpose or some pivot that that um that allows you to have um expanded within that time and not that it hadn't been wasted I don't know that's that's my uh, maybe it's more intense for Sydney and Melbourne right now rather than Nick sitting in his Tessie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God's God, country, it. everyone should move here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. Well, I guess the thing is like a lot of the work that I do is using the emotion as an um, avenue to explore what's important, right? And given that we've got nothing else better to do but sit around in our feelings and emotions, you're going to get some understanding about how you're feeling, right? Hmm. True. Like normally it's most of our society was geared around not feeling. Yeah, because it was too painful to feel because, you know, suddenly you'd actually have to acknowledge so many forces that were against you or, you know. It was also very masculine, you know, and to, you know, the ideal or the idea of masculinity was to just be robotic and, you know, programmed Action. and just get, yeah, and get on with things. Action, yeah. But as, as both of us as parents of young children, um, most interesting thing I keep hearing is that it's actually like little boys are actually more emotional than little girls. It's just that they then get taught to kind of suppress that and that that sort of, you know, to be a man is to not feel those things. But you watch boys and girls mix and boys are triggered so much more quicker than girls and girls just kind of like, you know, internalise, work it out, know who they are and move on. And I know that's a total broad generalisation, but, you know, it's uh, it's that's been a really interesting learning. Well, I guess women are allowed to indulge and connect to their feeling world. They're allowed to have language around it. They're allowed to have a day in bed getting, you know, all emotional about whatever it is, might, you know, it might be. Well, there doesn't seem like there's an avenue in the past. I think that's changing for for men. It's like you weren't allowed to have that same experience with your feelings. Um, but, yeah, it's exciting. I think that's changing. I think that's where we are right now. We're in that progressional shift, right, around how we see gender even, not just, you know, our emotions. It's how we view gender and the discrimination both sides in relationship to gender, not just for women. Discrimination occurs with men as well. And I think a a wholesale uncovering of um, or unpacking of what self-abandonment really means and what that means for each of the, you know, or for for all genders, for for any, for anyone, Um, how have they been complicit in their own kind of self-abandonment? My, sorry. (laughs) That's what happens when you're in your car for recording a podcast. I'm sorry. I was trying trying to, I was getting, I'm I'm baking in here. I was getting a bit hot and I was like. Oh, that's the problem when you live in Western Australia. It's far too warm. Far too warm. We've got the beach. That's the whole point. Hot water. You just just Uh, do that all the time. Next time we do this, we want you on the beach, all right? No, no, no complaints. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you were saying about um, self-realisation, yeah? Is that what you were describing? Yeah, I guess um, recognition of the self is such a massive journey that children do and are naturally right they know themselves and part of the shock that they have is that other people can't see what they understand or know about themselves to be true and so in not having that aspect of themselves being recognized they then go about seeking recognition from other and what others see in them may be different to what they see in themselves And so a lot of the work I do is recovering that original sense of who they thought that they were or knew who they were. It's like, you know, you have to go back to the beginning to move forward. You have to strip back 
all those layers to really get a sense of who you truly are sometimes. Well, and in, from, in, in some of the work you do, you know, I just always remember you going, and where are we now, Nick? You know, okay, and, and how old are you? And I'm like, oh, God, you know, like we're digging back to like me being two. And what happened then? And how did you feel? And I'm like, oh, you know, and you so think that this stuff is just like in the past and forgotten, but like, you know, the echoes of it carry through your life forever and those patterns are imprinted. And then, you know, until you can see the patterns, you know, they're just, it's invisible. It's just like kind of who you are. And once you recognise them, you go, oh, shit, okay. That's why that's that way. Well, I guess people don't understand that when you're a child, we all experience stress. So everyone understands that. We all experience stress. But how we choose to deal with that will set up us as a human being to be successful or not successful. And the amount of stress, either too much or too, too little, will both be detrimental. But in experiencing stress, we actually make decisions on how we're going to cope with that or we form a belief around why that experience, why we experience that. And then we drive our choices based on those conclusions. So a lot of what I do is unpick what conclusion did you make about that situation that potentially was accurate then or maybe it wasn't accurate you know, and then looking at what belief have you created from that situation that may have not been accurate? Why did you make that decision and choice about yourself? And you can see how how relevant this is to, you know, to business or even relationships or the way, you, you know, you run your life. Because if those things are there, then, you know, you're going to, you're going to, like, five people get the same set of data and each five people will see it differently because of those, those inbuilt biases that are shaped whenever it is, you know. Yeah, we have unconscious drivers, yeah, yeah, or perceptions. Yeah, a lot of people got very uh, successful trying to mask an inferiority complex, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, or an unworthiness wound. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, these it, things can work good. for us. That's exactly right. I mean, and I guess I get to see people when it no longer works for them. Mm. There has to be a moment where it no longer works for them. Um, and so, but, but, but no, but like, you know, what percentage of the population get to that point? You know, not not many, do they? A lot of people just make do. it work and keep I, keep it yeah, working. Yeah, I say but they then do. suffer with whether through health or relationships or yeah, they keep you know. getting divorced and they keep getting remarried and then yeah. they you know give up on relationships altogether rather than seeking help or understanding it. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, a lot of the work that I do with people, um, they've already got what we call cognition. They already have awareness around what their problem is. So, for example, they never can make relationships work. Okay. Um, and they've gone and spoken to therapists and they know that it's because their mother abandoned them and their father was narcissistic and they've done a lot of the insights around that so their head understands it. But what they're finding, which is more painful, is that they're still making the same mistakes. So mm. even though they have this awareness, it's not changing their actions or behaviour. That's because our actions and behaviours are being often formed by our subconscious, which is the inner child that's programmed these unconscious responses so my work that I do, which makes me different, I've got a very strong understanding of the psychology and everything, but I actually take people into REM, which isn't hypnosis, it's a shamanic technique, um, where you go into REM rapid eye movement, where you are conscious and awake, but you're in a subconscious state and you speak to this aspect of yourself. And so when you unite the conscious self and the subconscious self and they're on the same page, you actually then have the ability to make the changes that you're talking about. Um mm. And it's almost, I would say, it's almost impossible to try to make those changes without that integration. 
And yeah, not of course, many people the offer that. Will, the subconscious will always sabotage the, the conscious That's right. liminal mind, you know? Yeah, and this is where the frustration comes for a lot of people. And it's not, all, and not that it's deliberately trying to sabotage. No. It's just that's the programming. It's that's like the, the programming. Op- it's the, the operating system of your brain and body. It's your default position. And often yeah. when you're triggered by these situations, you can't think and you go into your automatic programming, which mm. are these ways, this, you know, you decided when you were two that this is the best way to deal with it. And so every time you get into those moments, even though you know it's not the best thing to do you can't help but find yourself doing that but more importantly you also can't help find can't help but find yourself attracting this as well I mean this is the other thing I'm in the process of writing about relationships and karmic relationships and you know people who think that relationships happen by chance really don't get the fact that these are all pre-organized things to be able to bring to our (laughs) awareness what it is that was um the wound in the first place and I think that that does relate to the relationships that you have with clients as well. You know, we, um, you know, I, I look at all of our clients and they're all very, very similar people and they've been attracted to us for very similar reasons because they've had this calling within them. And, um, you know, I guess like we talk, we talk a lot about sort of color and playfulness and joy. And I remember one of the comments that you made when we first met was, <laughs> Oh yes, I can see you're an architect. You're all wearing black, and you know. Whereas, like the the true expression of you know the work that we do in our practice is very is very childlike in in, in embracing that joy and fun. And I think that um, you know having that sort of awareness of of um, how that uh, is projected into the world and the manifestations that you're sort of putting out is is kind of um, it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have a good giggle because some of my clients who are very intelligent, very smart, say to me, look, I don't want to get into relationships with men, so I'm going to avoid all the pain by not going into relationships again. And I say, good luck. I said, do you have a job? And they say, yep. And I said, well, your main relationship stresses with men. Men plays out with authority and work. And so these dynamics, if you don't address them within the relationship sphere of an intimate relationship, will play out within your work. And, yes, will play out with the clients that you attract. Will It will play out with your friendships that you have your family your family the boundaries that you set yeah it will Mm. play out with the um the people even you know i've had clients i've worked with lots of architects god bless i love you all and um you know some architects have no problems putting permits through it's like the universe keeps saying to them yes you can do whatever you like we're going to approve it and you know i've had other architects with real problems with authority and father issues that each time he puts in a permit for the smallest things he'll get the biggest reactions that's me too you know (laughs) father issues (laughs) (laughs) you know and so authority yeah and then we have these preconceived beliefs that we then manifest i mean i mean this is you know i could talk for years but um we have this phrase we throw around all the time, you know, what you think becomes your reality, right? And we don't really understand the premise of that, but everyone can actually see the validity. Like a lot of people are taking this on board. Like it's a, yeah, no, that's true. What we think is reality. From my perspective, when I first understood what this meant was that I was walking down the street once and this guy in front of me and me being me, I'm attracted to things for, you know, whatever reason, I have to follow that curiosity. And I just couldn't help but look at him. I was fixated by him and he had, you know, this guy with the big shoulders and they wear a really good suit, you know, they've got the big shoulders and their waist <laughs> comes in and he was kind of tall and he had the the length of the trouser with the perfect height for his shoes and his shoes were a great colour. you sure you weren't just like crushing hard? <laughs> He was not my type, trust me. (laughs) And and I was just mesmerised by the perfection of his outfit and I couldn't see him. But what I was actually getting at the same time was this message, don't look at me, I'm disgusting. 
I'm unattractive. So I was really perplexed around what this was about. So anyway, I moved forward and, you know, <laughs> tried to catch up to him in some way and noticed that he had really, really faint acne scars. Now, my interpretation is that he was over-grooming because he probably did have a feeling of that. But what's fascinating is that most people wouldn't know that I'm actually picking up a psychic impression of what he really thinks about himself. And I'm able, because of my psychic abilities, be able to distinguish with what reality is. And the reality is he's actually quite a handsome man, very attractive, versus the thoughts that he's putting out, which he's actually he's not attractive. Now, because I'm able to distinguish that, I can see the difference. Most people wouldn't actually realise all of that depth and would take on his disgusting man as their own belief about him. And they would be feeling this as an impression like, I don't know what it's about him. There's just something wrong with him. He just feels really yucky. And take it on the, as though that's about him when it's really about his thoughts. It's not actually the reality. Does that make sense? Hmm. So what yes. we're projecting yeah. out to the world, even if it's not true, is formed from our beliefs, will be how people experience us, will be what we actually experience. Okay. Now tie that into business or something like that because well, it's, it's an easy step to make. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so if you have belief around your business, people will pick up on that. So, for example, if you don't believe your business has value, you won't be valued. People won't pay you. People will try to take you to tribunal and give you a quarter of the cost because they don't see the worth in what you're presenting or giving because you don't believe that you have value. And yet there's people out there that don't do very, you know, very good work at all, but they have a belief that the work's amazing and they will always be paid on time and potentially respected for that beyond its worth. Mm. You know, it's the same thing with love. You know, people come in, they're so frustrated and they go, how can that woman be in a happy relationship? She's not attractive. She's overweight. You know, she's not even very nice. And this guy, she's got, you know, he just adores her. And I said, because she believes she deserves to be loved. Wow. <laughs> and cut. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Now, why she believes she deserves to be loved is probably in the origin of her family of origin and all those things and her DNA and all that stuff. I mean, what, what makes Olympic swimmer believe he can win an Olympic medal? Because his father probably did or there's an athlete in his family. There's reasons why we have that potential belief and that's what my work is to uncover what's driving that. Which, again, linking back to business and purpose is completely linked because in a lot of ways, um, you know, uh, I was just in a podcast talking about authenticity and what that means and that actually, you know, you shouldn't really um, be looking externally for, you know, um, these, uh, you know, which direction that you should go from a marketing perspective. You should just look inwards at yourself and try mm. and unpack and embellish and celebrate what it is uh, or who you are and why, you know, what are your gifts and um, what can you, you know, in what way can you be of service and, um I think that it's all completely what? linked because if you're not aware or emotionally intelligent enough to 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 have that um, honest position, I think um, yeah, you, you're well, not. Well, I gonna... think I think that's it's. I think you got it there, Mon, perfectly. I think like from my personal position and looking at yours as well, it's like I think my practice only got successful the more it became more like me, and you know that because that was a position, you know. But I also had to do the work to know who I am and know about the things that I'm good at, or the things I believe in, or the things I want to attract and bring into the world. And so the more I kind of lent into being like um, 
emotionally intelligent and like you know kind of connecting to feeling and atmosphere and you know just being nice and doing good work like those are the clients that I attracted and then you know then as your practice grows you've got to try and like make it more universally themed and not about you as a personal you know like it doesn't the practice is Nick Nick is the practice it has to like then sort of translate outwards which is sort of what we're where well, I've done as well, but like that, <clears throat> I just also remember like back to the early days of starting practice where you kind of like, okay, you know, what does a practice look like? What's it got to be? And you end up with all these like nothing words where you're trying to be everything to everyone, and it just becomes this kind of like big blanket mess that is just you know it's nothing, you know, by being you know the the yeah by trying to be everything you end up being nothing. And you know the the best piece of advice is almost like to find the niche and to revel in the niche or just to find the the self and the true self. Because then, you know, then work's a joy, then your clients are all fucking legends, then the work is great. You know, it just it just kind of, it just it gets this great, yeah. I don't know, exponential multiplicity that just kind of keeps building yeah. on itself because, you know, you're happy to go to work, you're never writing angry emails, um, you know, the work is good, clients appreciate it, and then that just builds and builds and builds. Like I was thinking, I, I haven't had, I think it's almost been like years since I've had like, kind of, you know, I'm worried about looking at my inbox or I'm scared about, you know, an email or a client that's going to get angry at something or whatever, just because, you know, it's just, that just doesn't exist in, in our world anymore because, because of either be- like strong boundaries or strong self-worth and self-value or also just like putting those, uh, you know, values into the world and that kind of being attracted back. Yeah, well, you've you put in the work, you've got clarity around who you want to attract, how you want to work, who you are, what it is that you, in essence, are, you know, wanting to be and become. And that's all good. That's the that's the work in itself, isn't it? And it takes time. It takes it takes time. twenty years. Yeah, it does. And you know, <laughs> when I when when I at my you know we could say at my peak, God bless, when I owned a business for sixteen years, employed over twenty. So people. now at your peak? No, not at my peak now. God, no, I've been in a <laughs> in a in an exploration of my next works. Um, yeah. You know, but I had a, a, a busy practice. Seven. I was the owner of a business. Seven treatment rooms, a clinic, dispensary, shop front. I was seeing forty clients. Clients a week, uh, three wait month waiting list. Um, Fourteen hours a teaching, day. Yeah, teaching clients. Uh, sorry, teaching students on the side, mentoring people. You know, I had a child, had all those things as well. Um, did it effortlessly, mind you, because I loved every minute of it and I was energized by it. But putting that aside, when they actually asked me to come and speak, because really in the realm of what I do, I was viewed as successful. Um, they said, you know, how did you get to this success? And I said, one of the things you have to identify is knowing who you are because they are your target market. You are creating a product for yourself. And yep. so therefore you are creating a product which attracts people like you. And so whenever I was thinking about what I wanted to create, I was always thinking about, well, what am I missing or what am I needing or what would I like? What would serve me? What would excite me? What would make me happy to have what doesn't exist for me that I'm really wanting? I always I always talk about um, the guys from Working Dog, which is the the late show, the the, the guys that did the castle. Yeah. Um, and after they did the castle, the next thing they did was a like six part documentary series for the ABC, where they just went fishing on rivers through Australia. I remember. A river a ri- somewhere. I think it's called a, ri- a river somewhere. A yeah. river somewhere. I have to go up <clears throat> yeah. with my fisherman now, but yes. Yeah, and th- and that was and and when I think when some, one of them was asked, it was like, well, why did you do that? And I was like, well, we want to, we want to create our work life to be the actual life that we want to live. You know, that's and right. We love fishing and you know 
Let's this is the re- this is the revolution that we're going through. We're going to say <laughs> something more. Look, you got a lot of words. They're sitting ready to come out. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. I was going to make a gag about us doing a podcast, <laughs> living our are. best life. <laughs> a, a well, no, pod- but that's it. There's literally is like well, the reason we did the, yeah. the podcast because it's like well. I really enjoy speaking to interesting people. I really love Mon and we love catching up. We don't do it enough. This forces us to catch up and talk to each other and see each other and then also see other amazing people all around Australia, hence why it's called GERT, um, and have these really great conversations. And so that's it. We're just designing our life to do the, to fill the gaps or fill the holes that, you know, that are missing. That's I stopped true. working. Yeah, I stopped working centuries ago. I can't, I can't remember when I worked. I don't work. Yeah. I have fun. I mean, even in those really deep, dark bits that everyone goes into, I'm having a fuckload of fun, right? Hmm. Because I'm, you know, helping that person to actualise what it is that they're needing to to shift and change in the world. And it's such a, a profound privilege, you know, you can use that and throw that around as a term all the time. It is. It's a profound privilege to be there in those moments. It's like being at someone's birth or death, it is as profound and transformational and as intense as those moments, you know, and it's really privileged. It's not work. <laughs> well, yeah. it's the same. That's that's. I think that's that's our careers as well. You know, Mon and I. It's like we we just how lucky we get to work with great people and do amazing projects and you know do these. Yeah, and we always talk about that we're the same. Nick and I are just the same person. We're just, I'm just the Melbourne version. Nick's just the Perth version. <laughs> the feminine, masculine, the Melbourne, Perth. Yeah, I love it. I exactly. Love it. Girding hard, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> I love no, but it. But it is, it is profound because, um, you know, I mean, part of the podcast, we, you know, always do our introductions where we say, I'm the mum to baby Cleo. And, you know, Nick has kids and we talk about um, how that influences, you know, life and love and business and architecture because we all love architecture right like that's um that's our calling it's our vocation and yeah I mean we were talking I was like you know I remember in our session Simone um you know I got my period like three days early and I was you were like what does it say I'm like my womb is speaking to me (laughs) (laughs) you know because we were talking about the impact of um you know, having a baby on, on practice, you know, it's, it's, it's brutal. And I think a lot of the stories about, um, the stories about, you know, from architects are always, oh, you know, I put the baby under the desk and just, you know, had a week off or something. I feel like that's always the the narrative that we, that we speak about, but, you know, I was really struggling with trying to, um, be in a pandemic, run a business, have a baby, um, you know, no support really because of, um, you know, because of COVID, couldn't even go to people's houses, like when Cleo was first born. And, um, you know, it was just a really amazing experience to kind of sit down with you and um, and chat through that. That's probably a massive overshare. <laughs> just, you know, sure we can oh. edit it if you want to. Um, really people, people, can't help, people can't help but share stuff with me. See, this is the problem with interviewing me. You end up, I end up interviewing you, right? I, just, I admitted I had father issues about, you know, 20 minutes ago. So. I know. It's like just get it out there. I'm going to find out anyway. Um, well, I guess um, I, I think about what's my target mark and I actually work a lot with creatives and I, and I work a lot with creatives in a very loose sense, like in a sense that these are either entrepreneurs or they actually literally do create like you guys do, um, artists, performers, um, people who are, are new, you know, about new thought, writers. So in a sense they are my um, 
market. Um, but they're delightful to work with because often their value has been underestimated by themselves, by other people around them. And it's so delightful to see them come into their own and not just do what they need to do, but then have their stuff being credited or have merit or have value. And the value isn't necessarily like, you know, like Nick who gets, a big, you know, big awards or whatever else. It's actually in the fact that they're producing what it is that they envisioned was possible that no one thought that they, they could do, you know. That's that's the real gift in following one's creativity is being able to create something that you, you know, had a real strong sense of being possible and the whole world making you feel like that was impossible. It just opens up all this thinking about like, you know, art and commerce and, you know, the kind of the creative arts and humanities kind of being undervalued and, you know, commerce being kind of idolised or, you know, lionised and, you know, I always kind of thought that there's actually, you know, again, this is the, the thinking creates the reality, but there's like, there's, it's all the same. Like you've got these people who are sitting in high finance or, you know, big corporations who are actually hugely creative in the ways that they have to like navigate political or, you know, relational um, uh networks or the way that they can kind of find an opening and get a project up or the way that they can kind of work with, you know, say a budget that they've been given and a resource over here and something here and, you know, like make something happen. And then by the same way that like a kind of all art is actually purely is really commercial because, you know, artists are creating new things in the world and uniqueness and, you know, specialness is inherently valuable in whatever way it is. So, you know, whenever anyone says like kind of art or commerce, it's like, no, they're both the same. Like, all great commerce, um, you know, can be complete, very creative and very artful and all great art is commercial because it's creating something new and putting yeah. something into the world. Yeah, I mean, I have so many clients that come to me with this crisis, like, oh, my God, I was an artist and now mm. I need to be a healer. Oh, I'm a healer and now I need to be an artist. And I said, dude, they're all called the healing arts. They're all arts. You know, it's all the same thing. It's very common for a healer to be an artist and an artist to be a healer. You know, they evoke the same potential, don't they? I mean, really profound artwork is a strong healing tool, right? Um, it's a strong aspect that, you know, it's a strong thing that holds potential of transformation. Um so like, yeah, why do you I think, think we why do you think we surround ourselves in art in our homes? It's for exactly that. Yeah, I mean, if we, you know, God, we've, we haven't got enough hours to go there. But um, where we're moving to is also around, um, you know, this Aquarian age we're preparing ourselves for and moving into is all about the integration of technology and humanity, which is going to be, if I can swear, a cluster of fuck, you know, like, and we already see that fall out of that, you know, what's driving the choices here? Is it the technology or is it the humanity? Where, we, where do we get that balance? But if you put that aside, what they're also speaking about in this um, Aquarian age is frequency. It's actually about what frequency are you vibrating at and your capacity to see beyond the, the 3D reality. And the 3D reality is seeing beyond your reality now. I mean, without getting too woo-woo, it sounds like I've already been woo-woo enough. Um, you know, if we want to take this in just... Oh, thank you. If you want to take this in simpler terms, it's like, um, you know, the fifth dimension is being able to see beyond the realm of what is possible in this dimension and so that is ultimately creativity and creativity is aspect and connection to the divine. I mean, creativity, it is often of other things, right? Like when you're doing your work, I've heard Nick talk before, you know, the land spoke to him, you know, and and, and, as, and his creative genius is to actually listen to the land, you know, that's part of it, right? And then in that, create something that speaks to that or evokes that through his gifts and abilities. 
Well, there's been this really interesting, I don't know, reorganization in my mind about the value that, you know, we offer or that we do and that trying to kind of actually, you know, appreciate myself or my time or the time that I've spent, you know, doing this for whatever, it's almost 25 years now, that, you know, that kind of magic flash or that moment that happens, that that like little two-second thing where you get that, I think you called it before, like divine inspiration is is potentially it's coming from the woo-woo-verse or it's also potentially coming from you having been done doing this 25 years every day of your life, you know, you know hundreds of thousands of precedents, you know, everything that's going on in the world currently, you're standing on site, all those things are coalescing. and It's the 10,000 hours, right? Yeah, Malcolm and they Blood hit you with the one idea. Mastery, and, yeah. And, and, you know, in the past I would have gone, no, that was too easy or like, you know, that's just a first position, but it's actually like, to appreciate that moment as being, well, it's a first position based on a 1,000 previous positions or 10,000 or 100,000 previous positions that inform that position and then. It's because you're like so talented now, Nick. <laughs> Shut up, man. I've been talented, I've been talented forever. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So no. if, I, if I can give a really, really strong example that also lends to uh, um, how I really knew I was psychic, can I give that a quick little example that sums that up? Of course. Okay. Yeah. So I'd been in practice for a while and um, I was really kind of nailing all the clinical, you know, diagnostic stuff and I was giving the remedies and, you know, I was really confident, like Nick, what you said, in my in my skills and abilities within the realm of the practice, what we've been told, right? So anyway, in comes, so I was confident. So in comes a client I've been working with for a while and she was ropeable. She was fuming. You could see the steam coming from her head from the waiting area. You, you know, you could always tell when the when there was something going down because the, the receptionist would come and kind of make make eyes with you before you went out like, oh, you got the one there. And so, good luck. <laughs> so I was preparing myself for what was going to happen. Anyway, she walks into the room. And it turns out that her husband had left her that morning. Now, before then, I was just working with her general health and well-being, been seeing her for a bit, getting lots of improvement. But in this situation, she'd come to me because that day her husband had left her. So I was using all the references that I would in my practice, you know, active listening, you know, feeding back, asking her how can we assist in help. I tried everything and everything I suggested made her more and more angry. So then what I did, which I didn't often do, I sat back and I prayed because I was still having another 20 minutes with this woman in my room and I want to do my job well. And I prayed and I said, God help me, literally, God help me, I don't know what to do. And so I got a little message, didn't I? And the little message said, maybe she needs a hobby. So I then start this conversation with spirit. I'm going, you're telling me this woman's reputable and you're telling me I should give, ask her if she needs to do a hobby. Like, are you serious? Give me something else. So we had this kind of like little, you know, while she was screaming at me, this little conversation with spirit that eventually led to our spirit saying to me, I don't know, maybe she could become an opera singer. With that, again, me and spirit were having this really big standoff. I'm going, there's no way logically I could tell this woman that she needs to become an opera singer and get, you know, a hobby. And then I got to a point where I realised, okay, I've got no other choice. And out of desperation, what came out of my mouth quickly was, I don't know, maybe she get a hobby and she'd be an opera singer. With that, she burst into tears and she said, how did you know the reason uh, why I left becoming an opera singer was to marry my husband? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. There we go. So those little voices and those little insights, when they don't make sense and they're beyond your practice but you've done everything in the scope of your practice, 
they're that extra bit that make all the difference. They're the profound magical moments. And trusting them, listening to them, exploring them to their logical conclusion yields you more magic than you could imagine. That's good, Mon. Uh, link into the magic hunting. Exactly. My um, yeah, I have a magic journal now, and so whenever <laughs> anything magic happens, I write it down, rendering us magic hunters. So, and the very first, so I'll give you an example. The very first day that I was like, "Yep, I'm going to be a magic hunter," because I saw it on some like, podcast or something, and. Um, yeah, Scott came in and he's like, oh, you know, I, I made you um, a magic because we've run out of milk. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the first it's the first entry in my magic journal. And then the ne- and then 10 minutes a magic later. Is, a magic is a type of coffee, right? Yeah, exactly. So I now yeah. drink long magics because <laughs> I really just want a latte, but I want to say magic a lot. And then, um, yeah, but 10 minutes later after that, I opened an email and I'd gotten um, – yeah, twenty thousand dollars from Tortmans, uh, for for as part of my non for profit. So, yeah, I was like, wow, this is magic is real, and it's magic is real. I mean, it, it's you know, like people. One of my other names is Earth Angel uh, and Wizard. You know, like there's a few little names I have, and yeah, I don't get out of bed in the morning unless there's magic. <laughs> and there's lots so to be good. had. There's lots to be had. And I think the key to magic that most people don't understand is it's really based in your intention. Magic is, um, you know, it's a spell in a sense. You know, magic relates to spells. And so spells are really about stating your intention. So when you kind of go into that journal world that you're doing, you are very powerfully writing your intentions, focusing on that, being mindful of that. So not only will you have the potential to create it, you'll also have the potential to see it when it occurs because magic does occur all the time. I mean, you know, and like beauty, beauty hunting is another one. So like, you know, if you're yeah. ever sort of feeling, you know, just really heavy, just quickly look around and find five beautiful things. And it's just this really incredible way of getting present and, um, you know, engaging with mindfulness and Abelwal, we just did a whole mindfulness corporate workshop and, uh, it was really beautiful with everyone working remotely. Everyone was like sitting on their beds, just kind of trying to get some 9.30 a.m., <laughs> mindfulness (laughs) (laughs) into their brains (laughs) well yeah well the magic occurs when we're able to um have our mind be within the control of of our you know of ourselves like we are aware of where our mind's attention is being focused right that's part of the magic and mindfulness allows that focus it takes a lot of energy to be able to um direct the mind and after a while it becomes effortless yeah. Especially if it's 80% being chewed up by thinking about relationships. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, the old know. rumination. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, no, relationships, God bless. I mean, you know, I'm in the process of writing a book about relationships. I can't wait to to actually um, get that out into print. Um, but, oh, that's you know, cool. I didn't know you were yeah. doing that. Yeah, I'm nice. writing a few books. I'm writing a few books. Um, and I think the delightful thing about that book is it will be an easy sell, right? Because so many people really need assistance and help with with that. And I think it could have a huge impact because of all the stuff we've talked about today. It's it's more than just relationships, but it's the vehicle for people to start that conversation and to get into the bigger things at play here. So how, how do you do that then? How do you, you, who's someone who's very intuitive and very relational and kind of, you know, connected and face-to-face and energetic, then write a very static, cold book 
that kind of goes out into the world and is as oh. useful as you are. Yeah. So the hardest thing for me, I mean, when we're talking before, this is a, you know, this is a really interesting thing. Authenticity. Oh wow, you know, that's such a big thing. I um, I once uh, it's a word a, that's lost all meaning. Yeah, I once did a positive psychology course, and they had these categories like, you know, strong. You're strong at you were a learnt behaviour and not so good at because they're trying to identify your weaknesses and strengths, right? So, you know, ironically enough, I didn't actually have any weaknesses. I don't know what that means. But they placed <laughs> at, the, at the bottom of my pile, the lowest scoring one was authenticity. Now, when people hear that from me, they think that's strange because I'm actually a very real person. Like who you see is what you get. You degree, Nick, right? Yes, However, when I thought about it further, most of my interactions and connections are based on the other person I'm interfacing with. Mm. I will change my language. I will change my focus. I will change how I feel based on the relationship I have with that other person. So in a sense for someone like me, being authentic is a really messy thing to kind of get into. It's, a, it's you know, we could write a book about that in itself. No, but you haven't answered my book question. I'm going no. to get there. I'm going okay. to get there because it's all part of the understanding. So when, Nick, I had to think about this book, the, the problem that I had is because I'm very purpose-driven, who, who am I writing this book for? And normally these books or what I say to a person is very much driven on them. So I will, I will pitch it at their level and, I, and spirit will give me their words or will give me the context that relates to them or the examples. So when I'm writing a book for the general public, that was one of the biggest things I had to get my head around. But in understanding that, um, I think I'm clear that it's probably something that needs to be written in a really simplistic way. It's not going to be complicated. It's not for... It's not for the person that's been on this spiritual journey. It's just putting some of these concepts in a way that people who haven't been on this journey before can really understand. So that was half of the work for me is getting a sense of who is my audience and how do I write that and tuning into what they're needing from me. So I'm tuning into the collective rather than the individual, which is a big head shift for me. And so what would you, what sort of um, recommendations would you make for people other than reading your future book um, would be for, you know, I guess creatives, um, you know, this podcast isn't just for architects. So just um, people running creative businesses um, or even just in leadership positions and they, they have a team under them. What would be some of the recommendations for people that are wanting to engage with their own healing journey? Pretend, you know, maybe they haven't started yet or, you know, because I guess they can't um, other than Zoom you. <laughs> how, how should they engage? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still do work um, online, but I guess in terms of general advice, you'd be wanting to look at um, patterns that keep keep occurring. So you want to identify what patterns keep occurring in my uh, practice. Uh, or you could even use the word blocks. What blocks am I still hitting up against? What resistance? What rate limiting steps? You could use a lot of different words to describe, describe the same thing. Have a bit of an exploration around what that could be um, connected to. So they might have a thought, they might have some understanding. And then the next bit that relates to that is to go and once they've got some understanding is to go into the feeling experience of what that is. So that's kind of a very... But can I go back because yep. what you're doing is you, you're working on the assumption that people are able to firstly identify blockages. I was going to say, or, I was going to say. And, 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 or the, yeah. and then take responsibility personally for those blockages rather than blame them on external factors. So that's like they're two really kind of, that's a big leap to get to that point for someone to actually have the self-awareness people, and reflection to go, the do you know what, it's actually me yeah. fucking this up rather than being like, 
Barry's um, an asshole, or you know, we didn't get enough yeah, funding this yeah, round, or whatever. Yeah. You know, that's why I've tried to break it down. Because it is really difficult to do this, but I guess breaking it down in the first step would be identifying what are the patterns that keep repeating themselves. So even if the pattern is it's always about Barry, that's then identifying what the pattern is. It's Barry. So Barry's the problem. Yep, but they've, so get they've, rid of Barry. So we, but so then, then you would probably need some more assistance. And that's where we get into trouble. And this is where yep. the advice is difficult. And you know, where it's then getting a sense of, well, why do you think you're always finding Barrys in your life? Mm. But that depends on what the problem is, and this is why you don't often give. But again, you know, it, it it requires a self of a sense of self awareness, a degree of self awareness that can see that they're that you keep hitting Barry blockages. I think it actually is more probably about their willingness to identify what it is. I think most people to some degree can see it, but there is a resistance to seeing it because they don't want to see that. That's a different thing. Well, because what, fear of change, fear of having to do personal work, fear of what might come up if you do that personal work, fear of the unknown of what what happens if I actually do change and I don't like the person I become. Comfort of the, the comfort and security of the known rather than the, you know, the possibility of a glorious future. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a really big thing. So that's why we're saying, you know, when you give recommendations of what you would do, that's what you could do. In terms of being a, a general kind of self-help thing, like the stuff that we've already talked about, talked on, which would be identifying who you are and understanding that that will be who you actually attract um, and identify also to what's of value to you and what you want to um, bring of value to the world and who may also value that. So identifying those things that we touched on before. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh, there's so much advice I could give. But as Nick said, it's like a, it's a tumbling thing, isn't it? Like general advice, it's so dangerous. <laughs> general advice is something that, you know, you can get really, how do you put it, um, lost in. But maybe it's more about um, kind of saying, planting the flag to say that um, you can change anything that you have the desire to change, right? Mm. Oh, okay. So more like a, all right, um, what would I say? That there's agency around that and that, you know, mm. you don't, if you feel stuck in some way, you know, whether it's that you you feel like you're not attracting clients that have enough money or you're not attracting, you know, uh, partners that are good okay. For you I would say, or, my- well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether it's because I'm sitting in a car, but I remember always. I think it was my brother always saying, "It's like you know, everyone's got to realize that they're holding the steering wheel, you know, in their own lives. You know, you're in control here. You know, everyone's in control. You know, you get to choose where you go. Yeah, maybe you need to open the window, Nick. Get some air in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Emma, was that was that a bit a bit sideways? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I guess I might tune into. <laughs> I love it. I guess if I tune in, I listen. Like, you know, I ask them directly, them, um, my team of support, what I should say. And, and I guess um, what I'm saying is your future can be found in your past. Understanding and identifying the important aspects of your past do have a capacity to make sense of your future. So unravelling all of that and getting the deliciousness out of it is just as important in terms of also letting go of what doesn't work for you. So, you know, there's all these important jigsaw pieces that are held in your childhood, that are held in your experiences, that are held in your uh, things that the things that delighted you as a child, but also found in your adversities. Your adversities are also keys to what it is that you're here to do in your future. Um, and so looking for what those experiences have to tell you about how they'll play out in your future is probably the biggest 
yeah, thing that I would suggest people to explore and have a look at and remember. Yeah, because you don't want to wipe out your history. As Nick said before, 20 years of experience is really useful. But there's merit in things that potentially we've made, kind of put in the it's an awful experience box when it could actually have a lot of merit in there, a lot of a lot of goodness. Well, I think we've just talked recently about um, something, you know, that I won't go into details on, but that you said, you know, it, it's something that seems terrible but actually could end up being the greatest thing that ever happened. That's right. That is right. And on that note, talking about the the worst thing that could happen, I am two percent battery. <laughs> well, it's, we're at we're at, an, we're at we're at an hour, so we're about, I, was, I was looking for the moment to wrap it up, and I think you just gave it to us. And that's a wrap. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Wawawa have been called the Masters of Delight. To check out their colourful work, please visit wawawa.com.au and follow on Instagram at wawawaark. And Nick Brunson's responsive, inclusive and emotive projects can be seen at nickbrunson.com or on Instagram at the same name. Our intro and outro music is I'm Blessed from The Manifestation by Chris and Teeb. Until next time, Gert, signing off. Too blessed to be stressed. Put your faith to the test.